Have you heard the story about two guys? They went to Starbucks to get their cup of coffee, but they did something a little atypical. They did something that might shock you. They sat down, they put their phones away, and they talked to one another. So there they are looking right across the table. And they talk about some of the things that maybe you'd expect. They talked about the Colts draft this past weekend. They started spoiling the Avengers by saying, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. I saw the fear in your eyes. I saw it. But eventually they started to talk about their friend, Jacob. Now, the night before their friend Jacob had gotten engaged to his girlfriend, now fiance, Sarah. This is what the conversation sounded like. Can you believe that she lowered her standards so much to get engaged to Jacob? I mean, we went to college with this guy. Remember the time when he did the thing with the person in the, at the place? Like, this is a big deal. I mean, he's not good enough for her. I mean, he's really not good enough for anything. He's, he's late to work and he just doesn't, doesn't know how to provide. And he's just, they're just going on and on and on and on and on and on. But before they knew it, there was a woman standing at the table and she stuck her hand out. And they, they kind of looked up at her because that's a little confusing. And she said, hey, guys, I just want to shake your hand because my daughter, Sarah, got engaged to a guy last night, Jacob, and now I know the truth about him. I've kind of been on the fence, but now I'm going to do everything I possibly can to break off this engagement. Well, they, they started to flip out, right? They didn't know what to do. They stumbled through an apology. Ma'am, I'm so sorry that we did this and we didn't mean it. We're just a little jealous. And No, 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 you're being honest. I, I completely understand. You're being honest about who he was. So thank you so much. That saved my family a lot of trouble. She went and sat back down at her table with her friend. The guys looked at each other, devastated. They're like, who's going to call Jacob? Right? Now the woman with her friend, her friend says, you don't have a daughter named Sarah. She said, I know that. They don't know that. And guys, that's why we shouldn't sit at Starbucks and talk to one another. It's the moral of the story. No. But that type of story should terrify us. Because our words, whether we know it or not, whether we act like it or not, have power. Now, we're starting a series today called Sticks and Stones. And you know the phrase, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bold-faced lie. First of all, sticks, I mean, they hurt, but they don't necessarily break bones. So we're just flawed logic right out of the gate. But really, every single time you heard that, someone was just hurt by words, weren't they? It's not true. Words carry more weight than we would like to believe. Here's what the Bible says about it. This is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. This is James. He says it this way, James 3, 2 through 5. Indeed, we all make mistakes for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That's some strong language. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. 
even though the winds are strong, in the same way, and I'll catch this, the tongue, our words, is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Here's another way to say it. Our words can build things up or burn things down. Now, throughout the series, we're going to talk about our words and the impact that they have on our everyday lives. We're going to talk about lying, criticizing, complaining, gossiping. But today, we're going to talk about these words that other people can't hear, but we can't seem to ignore. We're going to talk about negative self-talk. Now, maybe this isn't something that you struggle with in particular, and that's good, but I bet there's somebody in your life who does, and there might be a time that you struggle with negative thinking, and there might be a time that you look up and you go, I don't know what to do. This has spiraled out of control. So I wanted to give you a good example of how negative self-talk might look and sound right? So I wanted to introduce to you my friend. This is Bob. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Good to see you, man. Good morning, Adam. Say hi to everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So this is Bob. Now, Bob looks like kind of a normal guy, right? He looks like he has it all together on the outside. Now, I want you to hear a little bit of what he might say in a conversation with you because we kind of think, hey, he's got it going on. Bob, you got it going on, man. Hey, yeah, man, life's good. Bob is a dad. Yep, I have two kids, uh, Patrick and Susan. Now, Bob is a hard worker. Yeah, I work at a factory just a few miles from here. It's hard work, but hey, it pays the bills. Bob is divorced, but is currently dating a girlfriend. Yeah, she's uh, Renee. She's great, and things are going really good. So that's what's on the outside. Have you had conversations like that? Just everything's good and everything's great. But what's going on inside of Bob is a completely different thing. He's telling lies to himself. So we're going to back up and he's going to tell you the truth about what he's thinking. Now, Bob is a dad. Yeah, I mean, my kids are mad at me all the time. I can never spend enough time with them. I'm not at home enough. I mean, I just feel like a complete failure. Bob is a hard worker. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's work. Uh, I wish I could get a better job, you know, but I just, I don't think I'm good enough for a better job. Now, Bob is divorced, but he's currently dating a girlfriend. Yeah, but if I'm honest, I still am completely broken about the divorce. And there's several days where I just feel completely unlovable. Bob, you got it going on. Uh, I don't think so, Adam. Does it sound familiar? Thus to me, now you might not use those words, but have you ever said those types of things to yourself? Or maybe someone else has said those types of things to you, but you start believing them. Or maybe Satan is whispering those into your ear. I sometimes struggle with things like this. And I start to think, and, and, and it starts honestly enough, but it starts to spiral down. And I start to say these statements like, I'm unlovable. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm an outcast. Let's define what negative self-talk is. Negative self-talk is when our inner thoughts become unhealthy. 
and reinforce lies. Now, we're all familiar with the voice. It's the voice inside our head. You hear one too, right? Good. Does yours sound like Morgan Freeman? Because I would love that. I would love that. Negative self-talk is when these inner thoughts that we have become unhealthy and reinforce lies. So I want to be clear. Negative self-talk is different than being honest with ourselves. Honesty is truth. Honesty is healthy. It can motivate us to do good things. Here's an example. This, this is kind of a common thought. You know, I, I should work out more or I could eat healthier. Those aren't particularly negative self-talk because they're not lies. They can motivate us. It's when that type of phrase turns into identity statements that it becomes unhealthy. And we begin to reinforce lies. So it's a seductive lie. Here's what I'm talking about. It's a seductive lie that our thoughts about ourselves, our thoughts about others, and their thoughts about us are what really matter. That's not true. Let me, let me say it a different way. God and the way he thinks about us is more important than the way we think about ourselves, the way that others think about us, or the way that we think about other people. But we don't live that way, do we? This is the way that author Bob Goff says it. He says, the power in a lie is not when it is spoken, but when it is believed. You see, lies have power, but not until we believe them. And when we believe lies, in particular lies about who we are, about ourselves, it becomes dangerous. It's a slippery slope. And that's what negative self-talk is. It's a lie we believe about ourselves. So negative self-talk might start as things we don't like about ourselves, kind of like this. But the thing we don't like grows, and it becomes an unhealthy lie that we tell. And that's a little different. Maybe negative self-talk is something that we're not particularly proud of something that's true in our past, but we become defined by this unhealthy thinking about it and it reinforces this lie that our behavior defines our identity and it turns into an I am statement. Maybe negative self-talk in your life is, is something that somebody else isn't proud of and that starts to sink in, but it leads to this unhealthy place. And a lot of these thoughts have this kernel of truth, right? We could say, yeah, I do need to be healthier. And that's an honest, motivating statement. But what we have to be mindful of is when that kernel of truth gets spoiled and it starts to spiral into an unhealthy lie. Negative self-talk is toxic. It's sneaky, we can jump from a statement like this about a mistake and then thinking that mistake defines us. It can be a significant part of the way we think. It can be about depression and anxiety and pain. And we can take a true statement, but because we believe these terrible things about ourselves, it jumps to something else. This type of thinking impacts our relationship with Jesus. It impacts our relationship with other people. And we might feel a certain way, 
But because we start believing the lie, it turns toxic. And these thoughts grow and they splinter what we believe. They become statements about our identity. And then we start asking this question, who am I? But our answer to it is out of control. Now, before we talk about how to address negative self-talk, and we will, and there's hope, I want to make sure I don't gloss over a really important piece to this. Some negative self-talk, not all of it, but some of it goes hand in hand with mental health. And what we're talking about is just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're dealing with things like anxiety, things like depression, things like suicidal thoughts, what we talk about today, I believe is helpful and it is based in truth, but it is also incredibly important for you to seek out help and to talk to somebody. And I want you to hear this. You are loved. You are safe here. And if you want to talk to somebody about what's going on in your thoughts, I'll be down here. There'll be people after our service and our time together who'd be happy to start that journey with you. But it's not just limited to anxiety and depression and other negative thoughts, right? A lot of us think like this at times. So what are we to do? As followers of Jesus, how can we begin to address this negative self-talk? Well, there's a little strategy called the three C's. I absolutely love this strategy. One reason is because it's really easy to remember, but the other reason is because it is rooted firmly in God's truth. So that's what we're going to work through today, the Three C's. So here's the first phrase that can help us think about this negative self-talk in our lives. It is catch it. If we can't identify what's going on inside of us, it's difficult to do anything about it, right? Sometimes we're in this cycle of negative self-talk and sometimes we don't really know that we're doing it. And before you know it, you're thinking some pretty toxic thoughts about yourself, but you don't even know why. You don't even know where it came from. So here's a simple question that you can ask yourself to help you think about capturing, catching your thoughts. What thoughts am I thinking? That's groundbreaking stuff, I know. What am I thinking? We, we even make fun of that, right? Let's get in touch with our feelings. Stop and... And, and, and reflect on what's going on. But the fact of the matter is, even though I kind of make fun of it sometimes, that's just self-awareness. And that's a really healthy thing to do because if you take a moment and ask, what thoughts am I thinking? And you start to write them down or you start to identify them, you can see patterns, you can see what God is doing in your life. It can help you capture these things because you can't deal with what's going on inside of you if you can't identify what's going on inside of you. We don't have to do this on our own, by the way. This is what Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
You see this world in between our ears? We think we're all alone, but we're not. Pretty clearly, God can understand our thoughts. He understands what's going on in our hearts. He understands what we're thinking. And here's the power of this. We can ask him to point anything out in him that offends him. Now that sounds scary at first. And we go, well, I don't want to do that. He already knows. And also look at what that leads to. A path of everlasting life and hope and joy and peace and any other positive word you can think of. That's what it leads to. So we can ask God, hey, help me catch this thought. We can take a moment and pray, God, show me what is offending you. Show me how I am not identifying myself in the way that you would want me to. Now, this happened to me recently. I was having a conversation. Have you ever been in a conversation? You're in the middle of it. You're standing there and you go, this isn't going well. That's what was happening. I'm standing there. I'm talking to somebody and I'm kind of having two conversations. You know, you're having this one and you're having the one in your head. And it's like, this isn't going well. I don't feel right about this at all. I'm, I'm concerned even. And, and I start to not be able to articulate well, and I, and I just start to make mistakes, and, and I, it just, it gets out of control. It kind of spirals. Well, here's the thing. That happens sometimes, right? The honest thought is, that didn't go well. I made some mistakes. That's the honest thought. But that honest thought went into something else, and it started to go, I feel bad. I feel like a failure. I feel like I don't measure up. And then that even spiraled a little bit further down, and I started to say some I am statements. I am a failure. I am not good enough for this. I am miserable. I am unlovable, and it's toxic, and it breaks us down, and it's scary, So it goes from this thought that we have that's an honest, real, good, convicting thought, but instead of dealing with it, it puts its hooks into our heart. Now, it took me a little bit, and I was saying some of these things to myself, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I'm unlovable, I'm an outcast, I don't measure up. And I'm praying, and God helped me catch the thought. I'm going, I don't feel right? This isn't going well. And God helps me go, hey, stop. Is that how I define you? Or is that how you're defining you? So finally, the thought was caught and I was no longer distraught, which is the title of my Dr. Seuss book. The thought was caught and no longer distraught. I could keep going by one. So we catch it. That's the start. We catch it. We've identified this thinking. Now what? Because it's not done, right? After we catch a negative and unhealthy thought, here's the second C. The second step is to challenge it. So you've asked, what is the thought? What am I thinking? Now we're going to challenge it with God's truth. You can challenge it with a lot of things. But we believe you need to challenge it with God's truth. Truth, good old-fashioned God's truth. This is Proverbs 28, 26. This is what it says. Those who trust their own insights are foolish. 
Anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Own insight is the way we think, the way we feel. Wisdom is what God has to say about it. When you have these lies, you have to fight them. There's this thinking and we have to go after it. And the way we go after it is by challenging it with truth. So we can ask this question. What do I know to be true? What do I know to be true? This is 2 Corinthians 10, 5. This is how it says it. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything that's against the knowledge of God is a lie. And we take captive, we catch every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And the way we do that is by challenging it with truth. And notice these things aren't what we feel like are true. I'm stepping on my own toes when I say that. I want to feel a certain way about truth, right? I want it to feel good. I want it to align with basically everything that I already think. But that's not what truth is. Truth doesn't change. My feelings change all the time. You know how I know this? I know this because I think when I met my wife, Abby, she didn't like me, but I wore her down. <laughs> feelings change. Here's another way I know it. I used to not like sushi. Now I do. Feelings change. Here's another way I know it. I think the Indianapolis Colts are going to do really well this year, but <laughs> that feeling might change at some point. If we want to get crazy, we might think that the New England Patriots, no, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to say it. But feelings really do change. That's truth. We know that the way we feel ebbs and flows all the time, but truth doesn't. It's steadfast. It's firm. It comes from God. So we're not going to trust our own insight. We can't. We're going to challenge ourselves with what God has to say. This is Philippians 4, 8. It says it this way. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So we fix our eyes, and we stare intently at truth, and we don't look to the right, and we don't look to the left. We are looking firmly at God and God alone. It can't be what we think. It can't be what other people think. And notice that it says what is true and and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I can't do that on my own. I can't measure up to that standard. The only person who can measure up to that standard is Jesus Christ. And that is what we're fixing our eyes on. That's what it means to challenge it. And if you think about it, if we're focusing on those types of things, Toxic thinking, negative self-talk begins to take a backseat because we're not thinking about ourselves as much. We're thinking about God. So how do we fix our eyes on truth? How do we fix our eyes on truth? One way is to build godly habits. There's a reason we talk about reading your Bible, about praying. If you don't interact with the Bible at all, that's why we have something called the Ridge Reading Challenge here. It's one chapter a day, kind of all the way Monday through Friday. You can jump in at any time. It doesn't really 
matter that you are behind or ahead or any of that type of stuff. What matters is that you're interacting with truth every day. And how do we know truth? Well, we have to learn it from somewhere. And the Bible is a great place to start that journey. Another way that we can build godly habits is that we can pray. At any time, anywhere, we can even ask God, like we talked about, hey, what, what's going on inside of me? We can say, God, show us what is true. Here's another way. Build godly habits, build godly relationships. God created us for a relationship. He created us for a relationship with him, but he also created us for a relationship with each other. That's why we have something here called life groups. It's not just a way for us to feel like we're a part of things here, even though that's an added benefit, but really life groups here at the Ridge are a way that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. We can be challenged with truth, with God's truth from other people who love Jesus and love us. Remember that conversation that I had, that really bad one? So there I am, I'm thinking that, I go and I start to catch the thought, God is really working in me through that, but I'm still feeling pretty bad and I'm still struggling with this negativity in my life. And it took a conversation with somebody else to challenge me with God's truth to even start changing that cycle. And I'm going, I am a failure. And that person looks me square in the eyes and says, that is a lie. You are loved by me and by God. Whoa, that's a little different. How do I know? How do I know that you're loved by God? God created you. Jesus died for you. That's how I know. It's pretty simple. God created you. You are his masterpiece. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're feeling, thinking, engaging with. He knows exactly what is on your heart. He knows exactly what is in your head. And he created you. This is the creator of the universe, by the way, created you. He loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to conquer death the third day, not because that pleased him, but because he loves you. That's the truth. And that type of truth challenges every single negative self-talk thing we can come up with. It doesn't look that good to say, hey, I'm an outcast when we know that God loves us and created us. I'm unlovable. Well, we know that isn't true. And challenging the thought, it might, it might change how we feel a little bit, but it's not the end. This is a progression. We catch the thought and God helps us do that. We challenge the thought with God's truth. And here's the third C. We change it replace the thought. It can't just be that we are acknowledging it and we're thinking about truth. Something in us has to change or we'll slide back into the same habits. Now, I like action steps. I kind of like to check the boxes off, you know? And that's, that's where I'm tempted to go. And here are the four ways that you can change these thoughts. I think that there are strategies and I think those things are good, but we have to start somewhere else. We have to. This is Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What others think, what you think, what you think about others. 
but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Our responsibility isn't to do, it's to surrender. It says it right here. Let God. Because he'll do it. We can't do it. This is more than positive thinking. This is more think happy thoughts. It's more than that. Because it's based in truth. And so the question that we can ask ourselves is, how is God transforming us? How is God transforming you? Step one, you catch it. What thoughts am I thinking? Step two, you challenge it. What do I know to be true? Step three, change it. How is God transforming you? Because here's the truth. God is literally day by day as we fix our eyes on truth, changing us from the inside out. He's prompting us toward building healthy habits. He's prompting us toward building healthy relationships. He's prompting us towards truth, towards him. And as we fix our eyes there, he changes how we think. We're thinking about him, which therefore changes how we think about ourselves and others. It doesn't change overnight, but we're not defined by what we think of ourselves. We're not defined by what others think of us. We are defined by the creator of the universe. And negative self-talk is changed when who God says you are is more important than who you say you are. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. (laughs) Who God says you are is more important than who you say you are. And that's how Negative self-talk is changed because if we have this life-giving, joy-filled, hope-filled relationship with Jesus, it changes everything. With Jesus, I'm an outcast, turns into I'm a part of a global community. With Jesus, I'm unlovable, turns into I am loved no matter what. I'm a failure turns into God has a purpose for my life. I'm fat and ugly turns into I am God's masterpiece. I'm worthless turns into I belong to God himself. With Jesus, this changes everything. I'd like to pray for us. Bow your head. Heavenly Father, with Jesus and in Jesus alone, is that transformation possible? That we move from these areas of thinking and talking and the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view we view other people with Jesus is how that changes. And I have to confess, I don't do this very well. Thank you for loving me in spite of that, in the middle of that, as you, as you transform me in that. 
Help us to fix our eyes on you, on what is true, on Jesus and on Jesus alone. And God, we know that there might be some of us here who are struggling with this deeply and we ask for your help in walking with them. Give us the boldness to ask for help. We also know that there might be some people here who might blindly think that their value is just fine with who they are without you. Thank you very much. And our prayer is that you can kindly but fully show them that that is a shell compared to the joy and the life and the love that is in a relationship with you. We lay our negative thinking at your feet today and you ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.